Hey guys, how's everybody doing? Craig here from Bass Lessons Melbourne, bringing you another player profile podcast. Um, this is episode number 33 and features an amazing musician called Every PD's Every PD. Um, a stalwart of the Melbourne music scene for 20 odd years, um, Every's been an inspiration to a lot of players um, around, around this town. Um, he kind of first came to prominence, I guess, by playing on the uh, on the Verge album with Virgil Donati, which is uh, an amazing album, which you should definitely check it out. Uh, and since then, he's also gone on to perform with uh, artists like David Jones and James Morrison. Uh, so I caught up with Every over at his home studio in Rosanna, and we had a we had a pretty cool afternoon. We obviously chatted a little bit about bass life and music, um, including uh, topics like artistic improvisational freedom, um, education, tone, um, all different kinds of things which you're about to hear uh, in the interview. And we also had a pretty cool jam session, which you can find if you jump on over to the Bass Lessons Melbourne YouTube channel. Um, And normally when I have the guest on, uh, a guest on the podcast, uh, I kind of ask them, you know, what do you want to jam on? Do you want to just do some changes or a bit of a groove? And uh, Every's response to that question was, how about we have 30 seconds of silence and then we'll see what happens. <laughs> and so I was game. I was like, sure, let's do it. Um, and so what you hear in the jam is completely improvised uh, free form. So it turned out actually really nice. Um, every mixed it. He, he did the audio over at his studio. So it sounds, it sounds beautiful. You should definitely check it out before listening to this interview or straight after. Um, Every is, a, again, you know, an, an amazing bass player with uh, chops for days, but he's also super musical and very open to, um, to improvisation and, and new sounds. And we talk a lot about his use of effects as well. Um, so, yeah, guys, if you, if you enjoy this podcast, then it would be greatly appreciated um, if you could just do a little like or a subscribe or even a review on iTunes or whatever, just to help get the word out there. Um, and if you want to drop me a message with any suggestions, then you can do that at info at basslessonsmelbourne.com. And if you like the music that's playing at the minute, then you can find that um, on my band's website, which is pickpocketfunk.com. So without further ado, here is episode 33, Every PD's Every PD. Hey guys, how are you doing? This is Craig here from Bass Lessons Melbourne and today I'm joined by Every PD's Every Pidu. Did I say that correctly? It's uh, very well pronounced. Excellent. It really does anybody get it right. Even with the Scottish accent. Exactly. So, it's great to, great to, to meet see you, man. Yeah. yeah, lovely to yeah. play with you as well. And we're in your beautiful studio in Rosanna. What's it like? The to sanctuary. Li- what's it like to live in a Toto song? It's... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, time flies. Time is lost in here, man. So it's yeah. wonderful to be a very creative space. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great place. Um, what have you, uh, what have you created in here? Okay, um, there's a lot of stuff going on back there, as you can see, and yeah. there's a lot more than that. So it's, it's been going on for since 2000, um, and of course, I started the whole recording business uh, back in the 80s. Um, you know, the good old four track on tape. Yeah, reel to reels and all that. So developed into into this eventually after buying a lot of gadgets and moving places and what have you. And this is a dedicated space, which is good. So I've created quite a lot of projects here for many different genres and people. Yeah. And yeah, you know, from uh, I'm currently doing a lot of TV and film trailers and stuff for a lot of um, stuff, a lot of uh, libraries around the world uh, through publishers and stuff. Nice. So and. How did you get into it in, in the eighties? What was the what was your fascination with recording? What what started you off? Great question. <clears throat> Fantastic question. Because you know, musicians are I guess naturally inclined to 
experience that buzz of creativity. Mm. And it's the, you know, most of us are, um, let's turn that off. Most of us are, uh, gravitate towards playing an instrument because it's the, I guess, the di most direct way, isn't it? When you're holding the instrument, playing it, getting the, re the, the energy from the instant gratification, uh, especially when you're playing in front of audience and you get the energy, you know, it's awesome, which I love and it's, I've been doing for forever, you know. Um, but recording uh, and composing is just a different type of creativity, as you, as you I'm sure you told me before. Yeah. You write your own stuff and having that amazing sort of uh, buzz of... Uh, listening back to your creation. So recording is capturing that, basically. So, uh, and, um, and beyond that is, is to do with texture of sound, which mm. is you probably um, um, might have gathered, I use a lot of effects at, at times, not all the time. And the reason for that is because I love texture in general. Uh, and as a bass player, not, uh, I guess you wouldn't think that a bass player would be, have much use for uh, too many different textures, you know. But when you go beyond the bass playing role and you become a composer and arranger and then you also introduce that role into the band because there's no rules that say the bass player should stick to the groove, depending on project always, you know, and you've got to be true to your, to your role and to the respect and uh, responsibility towards your fellow band members. Yeah. If, you're not, if your role is, is, is not beyond the groove, then don't go beyond the groove. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, um, you, you know, you have issues. And you might not be around for too long yeah. in that environment. Um, so, but you know, having said that, there are amazing opportunities to interject some beautiful variations in texture. So, mm. uh, recording and texture go together. When you record, you become a producer and you're trying to uh, control frequencies and which belongs where, so you can get the clarity in the mix, yeah. as we call it, as you know. Because it's kind of twofold. Because you're, you know, at, at the one on the one hand, you're focused with. The performance of and and the playing of the music, but on the second, you know, equally almost, you're trying to get the right sound and texture. You know what I tell my students? The first thing I tell them uh, when they ask me what's the most important thing, you know, the first thing I should I should do. I mean, of course, you 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 you, you learn the basics, obviously. But yeah. what's the most important thing in music? And uh, the first thing I say, which is weird, it's, is playability. In other words, your instrument has to be playable. That's, be, that's before everything. If your instrument is not inspiring you, if it's not playable, if it's the strings are too high, then, then you can't, it's always going to be a hindrance, always going to be a little sort of pee. Mm -hmm. What's that uh, old, old parable of the pee under the, the sheets or something? You know, where <laughs> you can lie on the mattress, but if there's a pee under the bed, you know what I'm saying? Under the sheet, it's yeah, like, it's always going to be So playability is the most important thing. The next thing is tone. You know, it's not you know, the scales and it's not, <laughs> no. you know, your technique, it's, it's, it's tone. If your tone is not inspiring you. Um, so yeah, you know, that's very, very important to, so, to so spend you, time getting the right tone. To you've be. been on a quest for tone really. Absolutely. And as you can see, you know, a lot of basses and guitars and, and I'm always looking for new instruments. Yeah. Have, have you found it? Like, are you at a place where you're like, do you know, there I've, is I've, no, got, I've got my yeah. palette and I'm pretty happy with my palette or are you always kind of searching? I'm always searching because I don't believe there is an end to it. There is definitely what we call it a, a honing in or a kind of a discovering our own, I guess, our own uh, deepest uh, and, um, idea of what we like because we don't even know what we want, you know, really. Until and we, we hear it. keep until we hear it exactly. Sometimes we have a fair idea, but when we hear something, oh my God, that really makes me feel good, and that makes me, you know, kind of come alive. And it's different for everyone, you know. Mm -hmm. So I have been. Uh, I'd say there is criteria for the right tone, and that again, that could be a personal thing for me personally, which I think would apply to a lot of people. Perhaps some of them not even aware of this, you know. And I, and I think it's extremely important, and it's having the instrument respond the way you want it to respond, you know. And I think it's a general thing to say that I'd like my instruments to respond in a very sensitive way. So when I play them soft, I want them to be soft. Yeah. When I play them. When I want to hit hard, I want to get the immediate dynamics. response, dynamics. Yeah. And there's a lot of guitars, basses, and I'm not going to get into other instruments because they're all so different mechanically. But in terms of the pickups and the way the woods are constructed and the quality of the instrument does vary a lot in that regard. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can be playing an instrument which just basically kills you, you know, it just doesn't listen to you. Yeah. Um, so it kills your vibe. And sometimes if you're not aware of what's going on, you, you, don't, you don't know if it's, that it is the instrument. Sure. So, you know, it's an important thing. You know, you don't just buy something that's 
decent or something that's good or expensive or cheap, doesn't matter. You gotta make sure that it's got the right response. Yeah. So the instrument is very important. It's a tool, you know. Yeah, it is, it is a tool, tool. and it's, a, it's like your your gateway to expression. It's your gateway to expression, and once you get that up to a satisfactory level, because like we said, there's not perfect tone and there is not perfect instrument. Well, we're searching, and you know. But uh, there's also a category of, um, of different tones, you know, um, I should say different categories of tone. Um, where uh, I enjoy a lot of these places is amazing endorsements I've had for so many years from Warwick. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I love about Warwick is just that mid growl, you know, which is just, I love it, you know, and it really, being in the mid section of the spectrum, it really, it cuts through the mix. Sure. And for me personally, I love it because, um, you know, it's just, you can hear every note you're playing, you know, yeah. it's just a beautiful thing, you know. Uh, at the same time, it does get a little bit monotonous after a while if you're playing a lot of different styles of music and, and, uh, and that styles uh, themselves will um, well, um, most certainly uh, require a different sound to blend in with a particular style. Yeah. Like I was saying to you the other day, you know, I was playing a lot of 70s, 80s stuff and there was, most of that stuff was recorded with a Fender, so what? You know, it would it would made a lot of sense to to bring the Fender and play that. And that was just beautiful. You know? Yeah. Didn't have the mids of, of these, of course. And it was sometimes hard to hear because he gets lost in the band. You've got to work for yeah. it a little bit. You got to work for it a little bit. Yeah. So. Which with that kind of music is maybe maybe a good thing. Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, I guess true. Yeah, you kind of dig in a little bit more. You know, it gets yeah. gives you a different tone. I mean, it's like when, when I pick up the P bass, it just instantly played different. Yeah, that's right. Base, like you yeah, you get the big bottom end. And, yeah, you know, maybe maybe play less in, in, yeah. in a way, kind of thing, because you've just got that big. Yeah, and that it, big it, it, that's a great point you brought up too. Different sounds inspire you differently, and uh, yeah, is, is and, that? And, do you reckon that's maybe part of your uh, part of your quest? Is not necessarily to find a tone that that is pleasing, but a tone that's inspiring or, or textures and yeah. I mean, those inspiring. those two words are synonymous. You might, you know, I think, you know, pleasing, inspiring. But inspiring is a deeper part of pleasing, which means that it really opens up the heart. It really opens up the creativity process, you know. And that's why I use. I use uh, I've got a lot of effects and loops and things, you know, which I do for certain, uh, uh, you know, lineups that I play with, especially with. Uh, some dear friends that are into that as well. We, David Jones, for example, uses a lot of different drums and different cymbals and different gadgets textures. Yeah. and textures, exactly. And we do a lot of, um, a lot of uh, improvised music. We just released that album over there called Third Ear of Music, The Sun Escapes. That one there, you can, yeah. Um, and uh, it's just me and David, and we have a million different things. I've got about three different effects setups with loops going on. You know, wow. four up to four loops okay. going at the same time, and it's all spontaneously improvised, <laughs> and we get up to some seriously serious complex things going on, but also very rich textures. You know, mm. so yeah, so you know, the inspiration comes as you discover that new sound, which triggers a certain part of um, mm. your soul, I guess, because we don't even know what we, what's really going on inside us sometimes, which is only if we just let go, which is. You know, a beautiful thing, and it happens easier when you improvise music rather than, sure. you know, because obviously when it's uh, structured, yeah. um, you know, you have your mind fixed on the structure, your emotions are still working, obviously, but your mind is guiding everything, the harmonic structure, the melodic structure, the rhythmical structure. And just by virtue of the way the mind works, once you have the mind taking care of those things, it kind of, it kind of does it at the expense of the heart, if you like. There, 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 I mean, there is a, it's not entirely true actually, because when the mind does get used to taking care of business so much, it does it at an autonomic level, like why it beats the heart, in other mm. words, it will take care of, okay. the, of the music. That's why I keep insisting on all my friends and uh, students and that let's not reach arts, you know, I mean, that's so important to reach arts, but let's not reach arts when we perform, because there is a small possibility, and good possibility actually, that it's going to be taking away from the freedom of expression, you know? Yeah. So, you know, so having that, uh, you know, having that environment where you're, you're improvising spontaneously, mm. then there's no mind at all. Mm. You know, it will be there nagging you for a while. Well, <laughs> Saying, what are you doing? What's this, you know, whatever. You know, I 100% you know, agree that if there's the chart, even if I actually know the song or I know the bass line, there's a chart kind of, me, You kind of take a peek at it and you're you gonna read, I'm gonna read it. You it know? takes a part of that consciousness into that and then it kind yeah. of splits you into two, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And there's no need for that. We can easily memorize, come on. <clears throat> I mean, we, we, we're able to do so much. You just look at the chart at home for like, play it over a hundred times you have to, you have to. Yeah. 
and that's it. It's going to take you half an hour, and then it's going to be freedom at the gig. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, obviously as, as bass players, um, effects isn't really... The norm. ...synonymous with bass players. No. You, know? you maybe think about your fuzz... Octave. Yeah, there's a certain chorus. chorus and a little delay, and as you said, the but um, I'm am curious as to what your uh, what your path has been through. I mean, the, the power that you have, you've got a Line Six M9 down here. The power that you have in this, you know, 30 years ago, if you were doing it in the 80s, you would have had to. Have had yeah, it have a like a, a, when I was doing on and the a Roddy and a, you know, back in like the 90s, 80s and 90s, I was doing a band with on the Virgils uh, with um, Virgil Donati on drums, right? Which was a serious, serious band. And I had, um, you know, a few spots where I did my, you know, solos and stuff. Yeah. And I remember two Boss pedal cases. I think they fit about six or seven or eight the pedals. Powered ones? Yeah, you know, those big yeah. cases, the Boss grey cases. I had two of them. <laughs> and I had two rack units, right. which I uh, have in my rack at the back, of them, which I still use. It lovely, you know, old Digitech harmonizers and th things, and Lexicon loop machines. And, yeah. and uh, volume pedals. So it was this ridiculous setup. And I remember the sound guy saying, I've never seen a bass. The first player in my life, you know, he goes, I've seen that carries so much stuff with him, you know. Yeah. You know, I didn't use it all the time. 80% of the time I was just using a straight bass sound. But there yeah. was times when... But as you said, yeah, now it's all compact into these amazing little gadgets. Yeah. But, uh, you know, personally, I, for, for my setup, I've got, you know, a pedal board. I just like the immediacy of being able to see everything and it's single I, unit, and then reach down and tweak that. That's what that I was doing for many, many years, yeah. yeah. I've had I've still got a boutique pedals everywhere, you know, yeah. with tweets, turn down and all that. But what I do now, which I haven't set up, and you'll appreciate, I'm sure, is kind of close to that, because what I do now, I've got beautiful effects boards. I've got, uh, like, a big M13, which has got, you know, more uh, switches. Yep. And, uh, and another, the XT500 Line 6. I like Line 6 because they're kind of... So that suits me personally. They've got a nice... Uh, um, true bypass and okay. certain other features, but the what I've done with them is I use a lot of expression pedals, mm. and I assign those expression. But I've got four expression pedals, right? Okay. And I've got them little ones, you know, around. You know, when I do the specialized gigs where I use a lot of effects, I just tweak the expression pedals, and I can assign as many parameters to one move. Right. Usually one, it makes it easy to comprehend, you know, and yeah. to keep track of. <laughs> But as a, also you can program, say, uh, the delay um, feedback increases as I push forward. Sure. At the same time, I can have the chorus going into a real kind of uh, doubling okay. effect, you know, strong doubling chorus yeah. effect. And then the other expression pedal, will, uh, the filter will open up into this incredible sort of swell, you know. And then another expression pedal would do um, um, uh, the reverb or, or um, you know, Volume? A volume, of course. Volume yeah. is uh, actually have a dedicated volume pedal for right, that, okay. um, which is analog because expression pedals work through the MIDI kind of, okay. or, yeah, the MIDI, I think, uh, controller. Um, and uh, and so when I play and, 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 I'm, and I'm swelling or I'm using the expression pedal, I can get the delay to increase. So instead of going down and increasing the delay, you know. Sure. So th there is a possibility which is kind of a, a, an approximation of doing it yourself, you know. So yeah. they, they have come a long way. And when you spend time with these programmable effects, they're really practical because yeah. then you, from one switch to another, you get this totally different preset and, you know. Yeah. Awesome. But the boutique effects are amazing. I still use them. Sure. Yeah, little, little boxes and stuff. Um, how, how did you come to be a, a bass player? You know, what was your light bulb moment for, the, for that instrument? <laughs> I'll tell you exactly when that was, actually. Yeah. It's really funny. Uh, even though I have studied classical guitar ever since I was, I think, eight years old, I was playing mandolin before that and, and kind of just uh, playing, mucking around with the guitar. I grew up in a household of instruments. Uh, my father was a drummer, but he also was a guitarist and he played a bit of piano and violin. So I was blessed, really. It's a, such a blessing. I, I, I remember growing up as, as far back as four or five years old, and there was a drum kit in the lounge room. There was a piano there. There was a Farfisa organ. Remember the old Farfisa yeah. organs? The Vox amp, you know, good, good old Vox. Right, yeah. And there was a violin, and there was an accordion, and there was a mandolin. There was a, that melodic, I think, you know, that I'm thinking blowing. Oh, yeah. And um, trumpet, and there was, oh, there's wow. instruments everywhere, you know. So it was just a natural. So, so I kind of, you know, gravitated towards, <laughs> I, because of the school, I was playing mandolin in this mandolin kind of band, you know. Really? You know, and is then, that here in, here in Melbourne? This is in Cyprus where I was born and grew Cyprus, up. Cyprus, right, okay. Yeah, so amazing. Uh, ever since I was four, I used to do uh, 
lift up the accordion, put it on a chair and undo the top part only because I couldn't hold the whole thing and just squeeze it. <laughs> and, uh, and the friends and relatives would say, play us that tune again because I used to listen to the radio and just pick up tunes and work out the melody. On the accordion. On the accordion and just squeeze it. And, <laughs> and then my, my brother was older than me. He was about four years older than me and he was playing the violin and he was in the, um, at the school orchestra at the time. And we went to check him out and do a concert. And before the orchestra started, it was like a big student event, whatever it was. It was back in the, let's say, 60s. <laughs> it's going back, you know, maybe early 70s. And um, I remember there was a band playing before the orchestra. And we were in, I was in the audience with my parents, you know, waiting to, you know, watch the orchestra, with, which my brother was playing the violin. But as... As, I, uh, as we parked the car, they were doing a sound check, I remember. And I heard this electric bass player, obviously. I didn't know at the time. But I heard, this, hear I heard this thing. And I was probably eight, nine years old, you know. Yeah. And I thought, oh, my God. I felt my stomach, you know. What is this? It was the first time in my life I heard a sub frequency. You wow. Know? So uh, and I thought, what is this? And I remember it was just, it was just, I, I, what, you know, I was so um, uh, enthralled, you know, by the whole, yeah. the, the whole experience of it. So ever since, it's just stayed in my mind. And even though it kind of was in the back of my mind, I got, as I got older and I picked up the classical guitar officially and I was getting taught, you know, I went through the grades and everything and okay. I eventually, eventually finished classical guitar, you know, eighth grade and everything. And then I did jazz guitar three years at the um, College of the Arts. So I was officially a guitarist and I still am. I do a lot of guitar gigs and I yeah. love the guitar, yeah. Um, and, but, you know, there was a time when they was playing in a band that didn't have a bass player or the bass player left or something. And I thought, just the, you know, the moment of, I want to try this. I'll, I'll play the bass. I'll go, I went and bought one, you know, like a cheap yeah, Japanese right. bass at the time. Um, and I started playing it. I was just, uh, I, was, I was still, you know, playing guitar, of course. And uh, when I uh, finished the, co the College of the Arts, um, my bachelor and did uh, my guitar thing, and I was still doing bass gigs as well as guitar gigs. So I went through a period. You were one of those guys, the guitar player that steals our gigs. <laughs> The frustrated uh, guitar <laughs> yeah. player, exactly, you know, and uh, there was a period of a couple of years which I was kind of torn. It was a bit of a, almost like a curse, you could say, because, you know, it's, you, I mean, it's not really a curse, it's a blessing, really, but, you know, at the time it was torn because I wanted to focus all my energies into one instrument. I didn't want to split the energy into two, and I was trying to figure out a way out, and I, I was, it took me two years to, I said, I need to pick one, you know. I really want to take it to as far as I can, and I can't just keep, because they're different instruments, really, you know. There is a lot of overlap, but, you know. I was being a bit of an intellectual, you know, I was thinking, well, I've got a, it's a certain amount of energy you can expend, you know, every day. I want to put it on one thing, that way I can get further quicker. Yeah. <laughs> the scientist in me, you know. So I, I thought, aha, when I, I saw Patty Tucci with Chick Corea in the late 80s, I thought, what, what is that he's playing? <laughs> what the hell is that? <laughs> six string? What's that a guitar? <laughs> what? Uh, you know? So, and six string bass. I thought, ah, oh, so there's my solution, you yeah. know. Ah, right. So because I didn't couldn't decide between guitar and bass, and like, you know, having real sort of a deep sort of attraction towards the bass, I um, bought the first guitar that came, six string bass that came to Australia in 1990. Right. Yeah, when uh, bass player centre went from Sydney to Melbourne, I went and ordered one. What was it? It was a Yamaha TRB, which I had till about 19. 1996, I think, from 1990 okay. for six years or seven years. And I played the Yamaha six-string, and I was just, I loved every moment of it. And right. then, of course, after that, I got an endorsement from a, another company, uh, Bellman Guitars, and they built me a seven-string, a six-string, and a four-string, which uh, I've got over there. Did you say seven-string? Yeah, it's over there. <laughs> if you want It's an extra high. Extra right? high, yeah. Right, okay. You could have it either way, I guess, but the lower, you can't hear it. It kind of rattles. F-sharp or something? Yeah. Tuk, 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 you know? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like, sounds like this. Well, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was the solution between that, that dilemma, you know, and, um, and then after the, the Bellman guitars, I got approached by Warwick, which I'm still playing, as you can see, a six-string mm. bass. And having the classical guitarist in me, I wanted um, the piezo pickups, which give you this sound here, which is sort of a... That's kind of a flamenco. It is kind of, of nylon-y. Nylon-y, isn't it? Yeah. And um, when I discovered these pickups, um, you know, I thought I was so um, happy, you know, having been able to blend the magnetics with the piezos and getting, for, for whatever purpose, you know, getting that beautiful um, alternative sound. Mm. One thing I noticed about the Warwick's especially is that they have quite a flat fingerboard. 
Yeah. Which I'm guessing coming from the classical guitar would exactly. be a nice kind of Exactly. I was very used to the flat fingerboards all around, and uh, they do also yield the, uh, the best action, flat fingerboards. Right. You, have you noticed, yeah. um, uh, sorry, have you, is this modified in any way from... This is customized. This, you cannot buy this yet. This right. is uh, ordered, uh, built by one, one the, their head build, builder in, wow. in Germany, okay. and it's absolute uh, privilege. So it's a work thumb. But it's all. It's a, you, you can't buy this. Uh, it's because of the um, the bird's eye top, which I wanted. Because um, I figured I wanted a really bright wood. Because you can always take brightness off, but when you add it, you're adding noise from your electronics. Yep. So having the extra natural brightness yep. for me is a must. You know. Okay. So the bird's eye gives you the, the most amount. It's of, quite a thick top it looks like from from what i can see from here yeah it's a chunky um um looks chunky sort of bit like of um, yeah it's humongous bits piece of bird's eye and the and the ash i wanted ash or it doesn't, doesn't make ash in the standard lineups so they don't standard lines they don't have um, ash. ash yeah they use bumingas yeah. and oven coals and yeah, yeah. azalea woods and all sorts of things you know they do use ash i'm sure you know they, they or traditionally they didn't and then at some point during the you know during the course of uh, time, they um, they started introducing ash in some of their models, but traditionally it was bubinga yeah. mainly and um, maple. They used a lot of maple in their streamer uh, uh, oh, yeah. sort of uh, models. But I wanted ash because after the research I did and after playing a lot of fenders that use ash, I wanted that resonance in the sort of bottom end from you know. And the bird's eye keeps it tight and bright, and okay. of course the flat maple is a beautiful, sweet kind of trebly kind of wood. And the ebony is, I love ebony. You get know. ebony fingerboard It's on just there. awesome, you know, bright. So bright, 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 so that you get the bottom end from uh, pickups, of course, and the ash. And you get this nice cut through the mix kind of sound. Yeah. And if it's too much, you can, you know, sometimes I roll off the treble, you know, like the treble is usually always below the middle. That way you minimize noise, you know, it's really, yeah. really clean. Nice. So it is customized, yes. Yep. And you got the LEDs on the side? Oh, yes, we have to mention the LEDs. <laughs> I've got another custom signature on the five string there, which has got blue LEDs. Let's um, go. Yeah, yeah. Have a look at it if you like. It's really lovely. So this is my five with the um, signature on it. Oh. And right. it's got the beautiful sexy LEDs. Blue LEDs. <laughs> so cool. Ash again, because I love ash. Wow, know? that's that's and beautiful. So this is kind of more. This is a, a, a very um, you know uh, special wood that I'm you know it's. And you've got yin, yin yang inlays, is that? That's right, yes. Beautiful. Isn't it lovely? And wooden, wooden and tuning pegs. That's right, they wouldn't, yeah. And I've got EMG pickups on these, I just wanted EMGs, because I remember playing um, um, many years ago, one of my most um, cool. treasured bases that I unfortunately got stolen. Um, was a Steinberger, and ever since I, I had EMGs, and I remember how responsive. You know how we're talking about responsiveness. Mm. The EMGs are so responsive. Yeah, they we got this sensitivity about them, and uh, and there's a certain character in the sound. Their color pickups are not transparent, like Bartolini's or like the MSCs, which yeah. were used. Uh, they're color, and I like the sound. They've got a certain you know character about them. So that, in combination with the sensitivity and the Warwick craftsmanship, yeah, it's sort of this base is awesome. You know. Sure. So that, awesome. this, would this be like your jazz bass? Yeah, or, exactly, yeah? because I've, <laughs> I've um, this, again, they don't sell it like this. Uh, yeah. I've requested the spacing of the jazz pickups. 60s, 70s? Yes, sev 60s, I think. No, was it? no, 70s, because my bass is 970, the Fender, and yeah. I took it off that because I really like the sound. Cool. So that's 70, yeah. Yeah, nice. It's, yeah, man. So, um, you know, like we were saying before, having the right instrument is just so important. I mean, you could say you're sp that I'm spoiled. And I am, but uh, you know, <laughs> you work towards that. And, yeah, if, and even if you don't have an endorsement, I <laughs> still I spend thousands of dollars in my instruments. You know, sure. just trying to get the right instrument and yeah. to be to inspire you, as you said. You know, so, and then you double that with the studio quest as well. You know, studio double quest. that with a you know search for the tone and sound in terms of the electronic aspect of things. Yeah, yeah, so that's a wonderful combination. Yeah, I mean, and so you you talked earlier on about touring with Virgil on the. On, on the verge. Yeah, we did a few tours back in the nineties. Yeah. Yeah. What What was that experience like? Um, I mean, it, was it, it was absolutely wonderful. A really wonderful part of my life, you know, because nineteen ninety two, I was in overseas working for a couple of years and or three years, and came back and I was kind of just picking it up again and 
getting into the circuit, as we as we say. You know. So you've been. Sa- sa- I was in Greece, yeah, so Greece. working with some really good top names there and making a good living. You know. Okay. Yeah. Because of my, I was married at the time, and right. you know, it was a good opportunity to be there. Yeah. And that was a great experience. Um, but eventually, I uh, gravitated back to Melbourne and back to Australia, and uh, started getting into in touch with everyone and. Um, yeah, I had a good friend of mine, Phil, you know, the piano, Phil Teresio, who plays um, keyboards, wonderful key- keyboardist, pianist. He, um, we mucked around, jammed a bit, and we had a really good sort of rapport, and uh, mm-hmm. we're both um, f- sort of jazz fusion lovers and uh, like things to get complicated, you know? <laughs> so, anyway, so he, um, I think the story goes like he, Passed on a tape back then. It was tapes, you know, yeah. <laughs> onto Virgil with some of the stuff and that he did or whatever it was. And cut the long story short, we ended up jamming, you know, with and with another dear friend of ours, Simon Hosford. And um, we just clicked and we just went nuts, you know. And I started <laughs> rehearsing, started composing, started doing some covers. Did uh, Tuesday nights at the Grain Store. I don't know if you remember that. If you were here, that back then it was a wonderful venue, um, third floor up in the King Street in the city which a 500, 600 people capacity venue, mind you. We did Tuesday nights for almost, I would say, seven, eight years. And they were packed, you know, every single one of them, you know. And we did other... You, you, you were playing there for seven or eight years? Uh, on and off, yes. Wow. And we recorded an album, it's called On The Verge. Is, I think Virgil is in, in the States now and he's uh, changed the cover and a few things. And but that's the original? That's the original cover, yeah. Was this his debut kind of solo, solo record? This was uh, on the verge as a band with Virgil on drums. Right, on the verge as a band. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he kind of uh, founded the band. Obviously, that's what's called on the verge. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a, pretty much a band effort. Everybody composed tunes. I've, I think I've got about three, one, one solo composition there, yeah. and a couple of, about well, two or three co-composed things, and everybody contributed to it. But yeah. everyone being a fine musician, of course. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, we really clicked, and um, so the experience with Virgil was incredible because he's an immensely talented fellow, you know, yeah, <laughs> an immensely uh, virtuosic player as well. Yeah, passionate. so he can get up to passion. He can get up to some really, really intricate sort of things. Did we you had, find that it, you know, you were you had to do a bit of extra practice to keep up, or was it more? It was pretty, pretty even. You know. Then? With the, the risk of sounding arrogant, it was almost like that's the direction I wanted to go. So it was very natural, sure, very natural, yeah. because I come, in, I come from a, a background that are, a Greek background that we're, I've been playing, you know, 5, 8, and 7, 8, and 11, 8, and 9, 8, and 15, 8, and 17, 8, even. The folk music. And one of the tunes there is in 19, you know, and I do remember a time when I was writing a tune and Virgil calls me and I gave, it, gave him the, uh, you know, the dat tape those days, you know, because oh, we used to have a, That's quite high tech. That's right, that's right. <laughs> I did tape that tape, um, <laughs> uh, and, and he called it. He goes, "Where the fuck's one?" You know, <laughs> and for Virgil to say that, it was a compliment. You know, you were like, <laughs> achieved my purpose. You know, <laughs> but uh, no, uh, it was a bit like that. We all all wrote tunes, and nobody had an idea where the hell one was. You know, kind of almost <laughs> <laughs> trying to one up each other. One up each oh, other. Hey. Very good. Sorry. I love it. Yeah. So it was great experience. And having said that, it, the, the, you know, the complexity of things was there, but it was also a lot of beautiful melodies and a lot mm. of beautiful, um, you know, soul in the pieces. And there was just amazing response. Yeah. That band. And your your musical progression career from from that to to third year. Yeah. You know, it's it's crazy. On, on the outside, you could, you could be as worlds apart. You know, how how do you Explain, or, or you know, how do you p- perceive your path from from playing that kind of stuff to this? Is it is it the same, or is it's it? It's exactly the like same. No, no. I mean, everything everything in life, you know, if we want to get a little bit philosophical, everything sure. is one. You know, the way I see it, everything is everything comes from that. Everything is one energy. So we, you might be Craig, and I might be every. You know, but there is really one essence. You know, uh, and we have a personality that's basically a story about us. You know, and beyond the personality, what drives you? What what's where? Where is your fuel? Where is your deepest identity is one in the same in a musical sense is one beautiful fountain of creativity fountain of a source or fountain of of uh, musical sort of uh, expression through what we call consciousness if you like there's, there's nothing beyond that you know okay. beyond that is you're either dead you know dead or asleep deep sleep or something <laughs> but you know 
out of that consciousness, when we are awake, you know, we have this um, blossoming of creativity. And it can take shape and form in various different ways, in personal ways, I believe, obviously, um, because of our personalities and upbringing and country and well, outside factors and in, in inner factors. Mm. But there is only one thing, and out of that, uh, it, it, it connects everything. So, for me personally, it started as I grew up and I started playing Greek music because I was born in Cyprus, right? And then, so there's a lot of that Eastern stuff and mm. the quarter tones even, you know? Um, and then there is the classical upbringing because my father was a musician and he loved classical, and he loved jazz, he loved everything you know, about music. So, it was a blessing to get that, um, absorb all that. And the family was musical in general and so then, so going through the classical training, which I loved and I still do, and I still teach the classical, and it's awesome, you know. And then having done, the, and then having the attraction towards the jazz. So you could say, part of the reason could have been the upbringing, the personality, whatever you wanted to say. It doesn't really matter. The, the outcome of all that was that I really, I love everything about mm. music. I, there's nothing that I discard with music. I'm open to everything and anything. So and I'll, and I always like to you know give uh, sort of to respect. The music when I do that particular genre, I don't want to go outside that too much. Sure. Even though I'm very, very open-minded, I like to fuse things. Yep. If the intention is fusion, then fusion is going to be, you know. But yep. if the intention is to honor a certain genre of music, then no, there's yep. no effects, and there is no, uh, you know, there's no overplaying, and but there's nothing. But you still feel like it's a hundred percent you in in those situations. As yes, well. and there's always that little that element of me going through. It doesn't matter what pl music I play. There'll be a certain, maybe a couple of extra notes, maybe uh, the energy itself, which you can't really hear, but you can feel. Mm. It can be a little bit on the sort of uh, maybe a little bit more creative, if the, like for the lack of a better word, which means a little bit kind of a little bit exotic, maybe. A bit more free? <laughs> a little bit more free is fantastic, man. I mean, yeah, absolutely. You're really uh, intuitive because you're really picking up on everything <laughs> really well. That's exactly this. You're a little more free. I mean, that's a, that's the best word. Thanks for that because yeah. you don't want to kind of put rules on your heart and your but it, spontaneity, you know. But it's also about getting yourself to to level as a musician where you can be free in so many situations. You know, you might be at a stage where you can be, okay, I can be free in a... Free doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to go nuts, you know. No, no, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean, but, but to feel like you... You, to feel like you're not at your limit. That's right. That's again, you're is spot that, on. Is your, is that, that take, spot that on. Takes to a feel like you're time. not putting any limits on yourself. Exactly. Yeah. That's very well said. Yeah. Exactly. And that's and that. It's almost like um, you want to feel like you're driving a big, powerful <clears throat> twin turbo V8, but you're not necessarily doing it a million miles an hour. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because that feels good. Feels great. You know it's there if you need it. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Hence the responsiveness of the instrument. You, you know, when you want it, you want yeah. it to, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, it's so well put, man. Good on you. That's, that's fantastic, you know. Yeah. yeah. And um, you're, you're pretty well known as, as, a, as an educator as well. Yeah, I've been teaching um, for so many years. Yeah. So what, what are kind of getting more into the education side of things? What do you see as core issues for a lot of for bass players, either things that you see students that need corrected yeah. or ideas that you yeah. think are really fundamental that yeah. people need to get to grips with. Yeah, again, another fantastic question. I'm glad we are, you're asking the right questions, really, because <laughs> seriously, the, I'm not just uh, saying this, I'm it's fine. the truth. Three, Amazing questions, you know, because it's so so important, you know, to get the knowledge to, you know, pass yeah. to the students. Well, I mean, we talked earlier on about, about time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So let's start, let's say from the very first thing that I, I sort of started tapping into through my own experience, which was I, I might have mentioned to you before when we're talking about time and stuff and and, and improvisation. It, it there is there's a certain amount of fear that I'd say pretty much everyone has, you know, to different degrees. Fear of expression. You know, we grow up for whatever reason, whether it's parents, whether society. It's not about blaming because it's all inherited. You know, yeah. it sort of goes back to whatever generations, to the beginning of time, who knows? But there's a certain amount of lack of confidence sometimes for all of us, you know? And that comes with fear and, or synonymous to fear. And for a musician, that is like, um, that's paralyzing, mm. you know? It really is. And it creates, you know, all sorts of issues. And through my own experience, I've realized that just 
un, becoming aware of it and just letting go and jumping off the cliff and just letting go. You know, okay, you don't want to do that at the gig where you're going to be letting go because it's not going to be a good experience, you know, letting go too much at the gig. You can do a little bit. It's kind of cool, you know, get the adrenaline pumping everything. But for a student especially, it's uh, that's what I'm finding. It's important to let them know that, hey, just pick up your instrument in your own space, in your own time, and just go nuts on it. Really go nuts. Like, you know, just pull the strings. Do, do it. Just, just feel the, the thing, you know, and just, uh, you know, feel, get your head to pump some emotion, some... Just get that aggression, in a, you know, in an in a aggression. Aggression is not a bad thing when it's expressed because it's released when it's expressed. Aggression is a bad thing when it's expressed in music, I should say. When it's expressed in, verbally, yep. it's, a ba it's a bad thing, you know, because you get all this old stuff filters uh, through to your now moment yep. and it's projected to someone who doesn't deserve it, you know. <laughs> or maybe they do. Or maybe they do, you know. <clears throat> but, you know, that's another story. But what I'm saying is that Releasing it musically is fantastic, you know, and you sort of start to get to then when it's released, when you keep doing it and keep doing it, then that aggression becomes intensity rather than aggression. Sure. You know, and then you get to know yourself. So really... Plus you accept yourself for who you are, too. Explore, you know? Exploring Explore it. And, and it's not just aggression. It's also happiness and sadness. Yeah. It's uh, any, the, the whole gamut of, of emotions start coming out when you start letting go. You might start with a few weird sort of situations where it sounds horrible, but after a while... When you start letting go, letting go, letting go, your spontaneous improvisations will become very beautiful. Not just because they're melodic, but because they're they're natural, you know. And there's something mm -hmm. magical about natural playing. Okay. So that's one thing to answer your question. Did you have a little parenthesis you want to interject just then? No, I'm, I'm just I'm just saying I've, uh, it's a it's an aspect that I've never really thought about integrating my own playing it's very or, healing. or passing yeah. on. It's just I mean I it's always encourage students just to. Just to explore, you know. Explore is another, again. just, you know, figure out. There you go. Instrument. So you just came up with an, another amazing word, freedom, exploration. I mean, they're beautiful words and they're very practical because sometimes I come from a philosophical point of view sure. and I might sound a little bit vague, you know. But exploration is what it's all about. That, explore that's, the that's instrument, did, explore the possibilities, the potential. When you know? I started playing, I was just, fat. I just loved the instrument. And I would just spend hours at home. Not practicing, <laughs> it's, but just, it is the best you know, form of practice. It was a mi miniature composition, exactly. and I was like, "Oh, what happens if I? Exactly. What happens when I screw this up, or what happens, you know, when I play this note with this exactly. note?" Exactly, exactly. It's thing. precisely what I'm saying. I've, I've got a little. Um, I should have probably spent more time practicing properly, but <laughs> yeah, no, no. You know, this is more important in my opinion because once you release that fear and you get the uh, emotions flowing, you can just play. Uh, you know, just a couple of things. And get this kind of what we call this, uh, I guess, this color, all these colors into the plane because you're releasing the emotion into this simplicity that I just demonstrated. And it, it makes it so much more meaningful rather than mm. being absolutely practiced 10 hours a day and then you do it and there is no soul in it. Mm. I mean, there is always soul, but it's 10% instead of 100, you know? Sure. Or 5%. So, so the, the thing that you're playing has much more like information or it's, to it's it. just it's just bigger richer and it has more soul because I think there is the, uh, in life in, uh, there is what we call information yeah and then there is substance you know substance is the energetic fueling of so there's like a template there's a, there's a glass and there's water you know okay you can't have templates I mean I kind of scales and the templates I kind of patterns I kind of a million I can learn a million songs they're all templates the the essence is your heart it has to go inside all that and, and just fill it up to the max yeah you know um so going back to your question of edu educational um sort of procedures and and systems and um importance sort of the importance of how to get the knowledge across is to teach first of all go to the source which is your substance and discover that through opening up the heart open up your emotions you know because that's the closest thing to your heart and it goes beyond emotions of course into your deepest part of you but for the purposes of keeping it sort of <laughs> practical and on um, you know realistic kind of uh, level you need to be able to express emotion you know not just learn templates and templates and templates you need to be able to do it and the only way I discovered personally to do it of course uh, in, via the instrument is to explore it 
to the max and allow intentionally to let out the emotion. Mm. Just allow it. Even if you have to think of your worst moments in life and your best moments in life, which are the two extremes that usually trigger stuff, which I find is kind of practically very powerful when you think of the worst moment of your life. I know it's people don't want to suppress that, but that's in itself not a good thing. Mm. Once it's expressed, it's released, especially through music. So you, be f you find that thinking of the worst moment in your life and playing something it makes incredible, incredible impact on this, on you playing. Wow. And, and vice versa, you know, thinking of the best moment of your life mm -hmm. and playing as you think of it, it has a huge impact. So why not open the heart, get all that stuff out all the time, let it just float, put it on your sleeve, as we say, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, and then start playing. And then all of a sudden that stuff becomes your best friends, you know, and, and you live in that world, you know. It doesn't mean that you're going to be consumed by it or anything. I don't believe in expressing, that, you know, expressing your emotions is going to consume you. On the, on the contrary, it'll be kind of released and, and, uh, and, and, and let you let go and balance it's healing, you know. And explore, exploration is a good word. You explore yourself, yeah, not right. just the instrument. Because yeah. yourself, at, at the end of the day, is what's behind every note you play. Mm. So why not have more of yourself there mm. rather than the, having suppressed self like hiding in the corners? Yeah. That dark recess of the mind and it's just trickling out and all the templates are fine, but the substance is kind of just there yeah. enough to... You know. And as musicians and stuff, we're, whether we like it or not or want to or not, we're very often comparing ourselves to other musicians and, and, and music that we hear and we have aspirations and goals and stuff like that and it's, especially as, as a young as a young player I, I kind of had those things of like man that guy is so good I'll never be like that or whatever and I had this producer who was really he, he was he was old beyond his wise beyond his years shall we say and he was like you know don't worry about that there's always going to be somebody better than you exactly man. but focus so on on making what you have unique, more unique to you, so that when people call you, they're calling you for you. That's another thing I was, you know, planning to mention that as well uh, in response to the question of education, is to encourage people to find their own voice. That's mm. so important. I mean, he was a very wise man, obviously, you know. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I went through a stage where I was transcribing Jacko's leaks and Marcus Miller leaks yeah. and, you know, Stanley yeah. Clark leaks back in the 70s, yeah. you know, and I still play them and I still love them, but, you know, um, I'm now gravitating naturally always towards that uh, falling off the cliff aspect, which is when you do that, when you let go, then yeah. you, the true you comes out. When you let go of other templates yeah. and other people's sort of things. Of course, what we absorb is inevitable because we listen to a lot of music. So it goes in the subconscious, whether we transcribe it or not. So it will come out and, and influence our playing. And that's the best way we should be listening to music eventually. You learn consciously, you transcribe even, you learn a lot of people's and. Um, you know, masterful approaches to music and playing and yeah. because they've, they've done so much work and you're ripping all the benefits of their work, you know, mm. which is fantastic. And, you know, and they probably did the same with exactly, yeah. some of the beautiful idols they had before them, you know, I'm sure yeah. and everybody does, you know. So it's a natural progression where one is, uh, you know, uh, collecting knowledge subconsciously. But at some point, you want to start gradually turning your direction towards your inner self by allowing your inner self to speak out. And the way to do that is to really let go of everything. Mm. And when you let go of everything, uh, all the specific sort of influences and people and players, and you start dis allowing your, you know, what are your cravings and what are your desires in music? And like we were talking about sound before and, and instruments and whether it's four, five, six string, whether, you know, incorporating effects or not, it doesn't matter all the stylistically where you're gravitating. It's just like letting go, letting go, and just allowing that sort of natural, um, um, connection to occur, you know, between you and the sound and the instrument and the type of instrument and the music. And slowly, slowly you come to that sort of point where you start, you know, aligning yourself to that more and more and more. And that, and then the energy builds up because when you align yourself to anything, what you're getting is you're getting this buildup of, of energy because you're aligned. I mean, when you tune the instrument properly, it's, you're aligning the strings and you get this beautiful resonance. When it's not in tune, you don't get much of that. You know? mm -hmm. And then we, uh, we tune ourselves towards our true direction in music, you know, yeah, right. and in life. You know, that's another philosophical uh, conversation mm -hmm. for another time. But, it, you know, yeah, so identity. And then your identity comes through more and more and more and more. And when that happens, you blossom. You know, you do. You just blossom more and more. Yeah. And but I think, I think it's also important to... Um, to, to, to say that it's it's you still got to put the time in you know it's not just about 
being free on the answer. That goes because without saying. I mean, well, yeah, yeah, yes, but it yes could, and no. But yeah, yes and no, you're right. Yeah, you know, for me, it goes without know. saying, but, oh, you know, right. for the listener, listeners, <laughs> there's no way that you're going to be theorizing and even on a practical <clears throat> level doing the personal work without doing the work on the base. Yeah. In other words, you, where are you going to put the water? You need a glass. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You need a glass. Where you know where are you gonna sure. where are you gonna how are you gonna build something? You need a plan, you need blueprints. Now you need to learn your these instruments, this yeah. specific instrument, the fretboard, every damn crevice of it, every damn you know, part of it. You sure. need to be aware of it and what it does. And that's just on a mechanical level. On a theoretical musical level, you need to know every single note, every single relationship between notes, every single scale. You know, within reason, you don't have to learn, you know, all the exotic ethnic scales, but even they're amazing, you know, yeah. and you can learn as much of that as possible because that will enrich your playing. Definitely. But you need to learn your jazz harmony, your classical harmony, because that's all, you know, yeah. all enriching and part of the whole spectrum of music. You need to learn your stylistic understanding and authenticity of each country's music style and each genre in jazz or in classical, if depending where you're going, you know. Um, so you need to put hours. I used to do... There was times when I, for, I forgot myself and I would walk outside and be dark like after eight, ten hours, you know. Wow. And um, my average for over about three to four years would be about four to five hours a day yeah. over a four, five-year period. And after that, would have been more on and off two, three hours. And I had sessions of six, eight, and ten hours as sure, well. Yeah. And I still do when I get, I get carried away. I could be locked up for five, five hours or something, you know. Um, you might say it's a lot of hours, you know. You get, you, you, but if it's, if it's what, you, what you do. You, what you put in, you get out. <laughs> <laughs> what you put in, you get out. There's no yeah. shortcuts. Is that no what shortcuts. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say there? What talking about? So time. Let's talk about oh, yeah. time. You know, because you mentioned time. Oh yeah. I mean, do you, like when when you sit down and you go, all right, I'm, I'm going to. It's bass time. You sit down. You pick up the instrument. What? What are your kind of go-to things? Like, do you do you, do you warm up? Do you just improvise? Do you? I mean, what's? Uh, I mean, everything. As, as you get older, maturing as a musician, those kind of things change. Sure. In, initially, it was full exploration that we talked about, right. and it still is occasional where I pick up the instrument. And I'd say pretty much most, of, pretty much every single time, it would be you pick up the instrument and just put your fingers down, yeah, and without thinking, you know. And certain things come out subconsciously because there are. You put them in the favorites folder, I'm sure, and that's why they came out first, you know? Yeah. And it depends how you feel at different times of the day or different, different uh, times of the week or the month of the year. You'll be expressing different things. Or it could be. Bit of classical, bit of swing. In five minutes, I could be doing something else. Tomorrow, I'll be doing something else. So yeah. I'd say pretty much every time I'd pick up the bass and I just have a, t a good time with it. It could, yeah. if I get carried away, have it on any commitments, any clients, any students, because I run a studio as a business as well. Um, I, I could get carried away and just play for as long as it feels good, you know, yeah. anywhere from five minutes to an hour or even more. But pretty much these days, as you know, we get older, we have responsibilities and time schedules and deadlines and commitments. So yeah. don't have that much luxury to do that. But I still enjoy doing it, and I, 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 if it's uh, if I if I tend to record, I'll you know go over some stuff. But most importantly, when it comes to um, the teaching aspect, again going back to that, um, is 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 to um, emphasize time. You know how we're talking about about time. So uh, you know, um, trying to get that magic thing about time has so elusive. And trying trying to get the message across that it's Time is like, in itself, another kind of container. It's, it's the organizing aspect of music. Mm. It really is what glues music together, isn't it? Yep. It's the sticky tape that holds things together. Without it, it's just scattered everywhere. You know? Now, there is a certain time inherent in scatteredness as well, because you can't avoid the time. You, know, you can do something arbitrary like... So even though this is a rubato thing, yeah. the, the space between the notes is, we'll call that an organizing aspect, and there is certain time there, but yeah. it's very fluid. Yeah, but it's repeatable. It's repeatable, yes, yes. Uh, um, and, but even, you know, I think, strictly speaking, even if it's not repeatable, uh, we, everything is repeatable once you understand 
and, and you analyze it to the max and you zoom in and you kind of reproduce yeah. it. But my point I think I'm trying to make is that time is a very elusive thing because it can be very fluid and it can be very in the, much in the pocket. Mm. But it doesn't matter uh, traditionally or from a jazz perspective, from a pop perspective, from a Western perspective, even classical, classical is, a, is an incredible example of how fluid time is. You know, mm -hmm. the conductor is like two seconds behind time. Yeah. And the people are used to it, they're okay. And then there is a crescendo. <coughs> I mean, so the rallerantas and the accelerantas and it's all, you know, um, part of the game and it's understood, but there is inherent time in those beautiful rubato moments, you know? So, but my point about time, the most important is that once it's kind of approached from the, from, um, it's, hard to, it's such an elusive thing, but it's, it's very important to not to play without feeling time. Because if you play without feeling time, it's, you train yourself in the nervous system to keep doing that. If you pick up your instrument, you go, or when you're improvising, you go, yeah, you're not feeling it. Whereas you can feel time and still play out of time. <laughs> I don't know if I'm making sense, you know, but you can, You can hear the in, the intention as opposed such, to... It's such an illusion, but it's important to focus on it, you know, focus yeah. on being in time somehow, you know. And to, to go more into more concrete language, it's subdivisions is what makes time accurate. Sure. If you're not aware of subdivisions, in other words, if I want to measure this space from there to there, I can't, but if I cut into small pieces, I know, you know, it's very accurate. So I call it an internal clock, and I try to get every single student of mine to build the uh, habit of having an internal clock. Mm. And it's usually 16ths because they cater for pretty much slow to fast tempos. Yep. If it's really slow, you can use um, demi-semi-quavers. If it's too fast, you can use quavers as your internal clock. And if it's triplets, you use your triplets. Yeah. Well, usually quavers. So if you're playing, say, and one, two, three, four, dun, dun, dun. And if I want my accurate to be, my plan to be accurate, I just go and having that internal clock, it allows my my um, playing to include the um, the occasional dead note because I'm already there with my always it becomes a habit and I can never get rid of it. And I can accent any one of those semi quavers which. Back to crotchets, you know. Mm. So, as you can see, how important type divisions are is what makes you having authority over time, not just trying to play, but you're inside it, Absolutely. and you're having authority at any point. You can choose any one of those semis. If you want to do triplet feel, you just switch the clock to. And then, of course, we get into polyrhythms because it's another way of kind of shifting subdivisions across mm. bars and stuff like that. Or across beats. So you're an advocate of metronome use? Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, I, 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 I said to everyone, exploration is exploration. It is no thoughts. That is very important, not to worry about anything. Don't think, just explore. We talked about it, yeah? That's very important to get the heart open. Nothing to do with time, nothing to do with music, uh, I mean, harmony, as you say, and melody. Just ex total exploration, freedom. Uh, now, when, when that's exercise the heart, yeah, the emotions, everything. When it comes to you sitting down and doing some methodical practicing, put the damn metronome on, <laughs> put, the, put the drum machine on, especially for, I should say, I was going to say, especially for bass by drama, but no, for everyone, you yeah. know, everyone, because there's nothing worse than any musician playing, you know, with loose time, too loose yeah. of a time for their own good, you know. So, yeah, absolutely, because the mind is like a sponge, it's like, you know, the plasticity of the mind. A lot of discoveries in the past 10, 20 years now, discovering the mind is easily, easily, easily programmed and easily kind of, uh, you know, what's the word, um, you know, it's just like plasticine, you know. Malleable. Malleable, that's the one, yeah. So if you don't start with uh, metronome, and the other thing is, start slowly for God's sake, because if you make mistakes because you want to go medium fast, those mistakes, they, they're going to leave an imprint, mm. and they're going to have the 
they're going to be potent and they're going to have a tendency to occur again. Mm -hmm. So the less mistakes you make when you practice, the better. Nothing wrong with mistakes, it's natural, but there is a way to avoid or lessen them, you know, sure. by playing slowly so you have more time to understand, to practice think. Practice success. Practice success, and that will in instill itself as a program, you know, yeah. which will yeah, repeat it means itself. That, that old age, you know, um, practice makes perfect, no, practice makes permanent. Yes, you practice the wrong thing. I love that. Yeah. Thanks for that. <laughs> practice makes permanent. It's true. It's so true, man. You know, people, student, you know, students come with crazy technique. That is so true. Go, it's because you've been playing like that for six years, and it's just they don't realize that it stays with you. Everything you do, it and it stays and with it's you. It's so hard to change. It's hard to change. Once you keep doing it, then yeah, like too much work later. Too much work. Yeah, too much work later. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. That's so cool. Practice makes permanent for sure. So yeah, slow the damn thing down. <laughs> Play very slowly. Be aware of your subdivisions. Go from very, very slow as you succeed through the, uh, the process. Then you can go faster, you know, a few bits per minute. Yeah. And when it gets to the fastest stuff, go one bit per minute. Be patient with it, you know, because it makes a difference when it's really fast. One bit makes a difference. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so you can go from 50, 60 bits per minute. That usually is what I start with, you know, um, and go up in notches of five for a while and then go down to three notches and then two and then one when you reach 180 or something, you know. Sure. Um, and practice everything and anything, foundational stuff, you know, scales, patterns, positions, uh, and strength exercises are very important too. Yeah. I reckon wow, we'll have man. to wrap it up there. That is awesome, and I think I need to go too. Yeah, we've got to go. So, man. How did time go, awesome man? stuff. Thank you so much. Lots of great things in Thank there. Thank you. Um, everybody's everybody. Thank My you pleasure. so much. It's been an absolute pleasure.